Okay, we're going. What the moon brings. <clears throat> what the moon brings. What the moon brings. Give me one moment. HPPodcraft.com I hate the moon. I'm afraid of it. For when it shines on certain scenes familiar and loved, it sometimes makes them unfamiliar and hideous. The moon? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. It's like the moon has opposite powers. I, according to this, yeah. <laughs> when it shines on girls, it makes them boys. When it <laughs> shines on dogs, it makes them cats. <laughs> when it shines on Lovecraft, it makes them outgoing and fearless <laughs> and accepting of all people. <laughs> uh, we had a blue moon for New Year's. Eve we year. did. It's like the uh, the first blue moon in, uh, on a New Year's in a long, long first time. First blue moon and a blue moon. Uh, Chad, I, w- I want to know uh, who you are. Oh, okay. Well, you get you got the first part right. <laughs> Chad Pfeiffer, and you are me. I'm Chris Lackey, and I'm uh, one of the hosts, the co-host, you would even say, uh, of the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. That's right at hppodcraft.com. And here we would say it is true that the moon can make familiar scenes look sinister. Something about being out in the night, the quiet. Yeah. Things do take on a different aspect. They sure do. I used to enjoy, you know, being in the neighborhood when I was a kid, going out at night when everything was quiet, and, mm-hmm. you know, all the houses looked different. Um, of course, they're easier to rob. Yeah. Wait, what? No, I mean, we did plenty of nighttime <laughs> shenanigans uh, sure. at, at youth, and, and uh, you know, everything does have a different cast to it, obviously, because there's no big ball of light in the sky, so everything, there's lots more shadows. <laughs> Uh, everything's yeah. a little bit creepier. You're familiar, for sure. Sure, and your imagination works overtime on that stuff. Exactly. Uh, that reader that we had today, who was that? Oh, that is a good friend of ours, uh, Garrett Watley. Garrett is a, a sound designer here in Santa Monica, and he uh, helped us out with uh, a, a number of projects, yeah. including The Chosen One. That's right. He's and a he's great help- guy. He's awesome. And he's helping us out with this. Uh, good job, Garrett. He's got a wonderful voice. Usually he's on the other side of the microphone doing the recording, but yeah. it's good to get him in front of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Garrett, get in front of it right now. <laughs> Read us the next paragraph. It was in the spectral summer when the moon shone down on the old garden where I wandered. The spectral summer of narcotic flowers and humid seas of foliage that bring wild and many-colored dreams. And as I walked by the shallow crystal stream, I saw unwanted ripples tipped with yellow light, as if those placid waters were drawn on in resistless currents to strange oceans that are not in the world, silent and sparkling, bright and baleful. Those moon-cursed waters hurried I knew not whither, whilst from the embowered banks white lotus blossoms fluttered one by one in the opiate night wind, and dropped despairingly into the stream, swirling away horribly under the arched carven bridge, and staring back with a sinister resignation of calm, dead faces. So what we've got going on here is the narrator, who again is unnamed, right. uh, is walking in his garden, which I assume is his backyard basically, that's mm-hmm. what the, the English folks usually call their backyards, they call it a garden. Right. Uh, and Fools. Fools. And he... <laughs> he... Uh, is kind of you know things are a little strange. It's, it seems to be a dream. It's not real. Yeah, the uh, the the lotus blossoms on his trees are falling into the stream and turning into dead faces. Yeah, which uh, swirl off toward what he assumes is some unknown ocean. He says some ocean, not in yeah. this world. Yeah, yeah. And so so he 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 follows them. He wants for some reason he's compelled to find out where these things are going. Yeah, well the faces seem to be whispering to him sadly, calling on him to follow. So he's he's lured by them and he he runs along the shore of the water. And uh, and the walls of the garden have disappeared. 
yeah, they're gone. So it's just an unending force. The stream goes, you know, far, far away. Yeah. It's, you know, obviously, it's a dream. This isn't real. And, you know, so far I'm digging it. Uh, this is a really short story. Another dream story of his that I really like is The Thing in the Moonlight. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's um, a good one. Because these are less... Uh, he has other dream stories where he lays out this whole geography of these dreamlands and all these ancient towns and there's right. so much to sort of pick up on there versus these which are more impressionistic and kind of really just paint this surreal landscape yeah. that he pulls you into and this type of dream work I've always been more of a fan of right. whether it's horrific or not but I, I like the uh, you know there's something that is really scary about dreams and it's that nothing's real in the sense of like you can't you can't even trust the walls around you they'll, they'll shift they'll change you know you look to see if there's somebody behind you and then there isn't anybody right. behind you and then you're grabbed from behind. It's like, how can that happen? It's yeah. a dream. Anything could happen. And this is a real archetypical arc dream thing where you the hallway seems to go on forever right. or you know, you yeah. thought that you could get out of some place and as you walk, you, you're like a, in a run cycle in an animation and the background just keeps repeating itself. Right, repeating exactly. Itself. exactly. Or you're, you're moving in slow motion. You know, like you're, mm. you're, it's like your body's held down with molasses. For some reason you can't you know, are you trying to punch something or somebody yeah. or there's a monster and your your arms are so weak you can't oh. do anything. Oh, that's the worst. Which I find that's the really horrific nightmares. Yeah. As opposed to like, you know, Lovecraft's other dream stuff, which is just kind of like, you know, Middle Earth or something. You know, right. it's very fantasy. Um, well, speaking of Middle Earth, though, the dead faces in the water didn't Oh, yeah, no, Lord of did. the Rings. It, it me... I can't help it. Those movies have really arrested my, uh, my vis visuals of Lord of the Rings a little bit, too, because now when I think of it, I think of the scene from was it the two towers when they're going through and yeah. yeah 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 now i just think of that specifically yeah. <laughs> there are dead things dead faces in the water all dead all but uh, uh but he does eventually they'll get to this vast and nameless sea uh-huh uh, or to the banks of it rather well it goes from the stream yeah to to a river right exactly. and then the river goes into the sea yes and uh, uh, and the faces disappear as they go into the sea yeah like supposedly the moonlight when the moon kind of hits them they yeah. sort of just fade away and he That's wants really creepy image. he says um, and as I saw therein the lotus faces vanish I longed for nets that I might capture them and learn from them the secrets which the moon had brought upon the night but when the moon went over to the west and the still tide ebbed from the sullen shore I saw in that light old spires that the waves almost uncovered, and white columns gay with festoons of green seaweed. And knowing that to this sunken place all the dead had come, I trembled and did not wish again to speak with the lotus faces. Cool. Well, so there's a couple things there. I, you're right, it is neat that he, he wants to catch the faces with a net so that he can <laughs> talk to them, you know? Like, what if that was your specialty? You were a fisherman. Ah, I'm a fisherman to catch faces. <laughs> catch them with a net. <laughs> Catch them in the wild, too, ain't one of these face-farming shops. Oh. They run nowadays, keeping their faces all penned up together, <laughs> too close. <laughs> Feeding them corn. Nobody wants corn-fed no, faces. No, I got all natural faces. <laughs> the, Come over sometime and have a face fry. <laughs> Stop eating those filet of faces. I got the good stuff. Uh, I literally could go all day. <laughs> I, will keep, I will keep doing it. <laughs> So, but this is, you know, a more dreamlike stuff, you know, like yeah. he understands unconsciously or subconsciously that he's in this dream world and he thinks these crazy things. Nobody sees faces in the water and thinks, I'm yeah. going to throw a net and catch them and talk to them. But right. he, he feels that he can do this in this world, mm -hmm. this, this dreamland. Unfortunately, the faces are going out to what, uh, what we just heard there. There's this place he saw, he sees old spires and, and columns almost right. uncovered. This is a sunken city out yeah. in this, in the sea. Yep. 
And uh, when he realizes that, he says, you know, I trembled and I did not wish to speak again with the Lotus Faces. Yeah. Which kind of made me feel bad for the Lotus Faces, you know. <laughs> Once he found out where they were from, he didn't want to talk to them it's anymore. Like, oh, they're yeah. those kinds of Lotus Faces. Wrong side of the garden. Yeah, don't want any part of that. So, I mean, obviously it's a Dagon call Cthulhu thing. Right. Um, another another ancient sunken city. About these sunken, undiscovered cities. I don't know. Uh, that he's dreaming about them all the time. I mean, obviously the oceans are scary and they have lots of secrets. And even yeah. to this day, they're unexplored. So who knows what mm-hmm. lies underneath. So from that perspective, it is rife. I mean, it's a good landscape. There's lots of possibilities in the ocean. But maybe it's that, uh, you know, and if you look at the other stories, he just thinks the world is drab. There's got to be more to it. Yeah. It can't be just this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. There's Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, in our next story that we're going to talk about, uh, you know, sort of Lovecraft's fascination with dreams i you mm-hmm. know i think it becomes a little bit more apparent in that story than this one but i wonder how unhappy uh, of a guy he really was to be so obsessed with his dreams yeah. his life was so unfulfilling in some way that he just really longed to go to these these places and it's sort of a, a sadness well but this particular thing he doesn't really long to go to it obviously this is the dark half of right of this type of thing the story we're reading what the moon brings did we say that at the beginning actually no, we didn't. But by the way, the story we're reading is What the Moon Brings. <laughs> I don't know if we said that. I don't think beginning. we did say that. And then um, the next story is Azathoth. Yeah, we're doing a twofer yeah. again. Right. Yeah. But hey, we're, we're already into it. So, let's so yeah, we're just going. going. We're just... Uh, because my favorite paragraph comes up next. He says, Yet when I saw afar out in the sea a black condor descend from the sky to seek rest on a vast reef, I would fain have questioned him and asked him of those whom I had known when they were alive. This I would have asked him had he not been so far away, but he was very far, and cannot be seen at all when he drew nigh that gigantic reef. Now, this is a short story, but still I would recommend cutting that paragraph. (laughs) It's completely (laughs) unnecessary. That part is truly like listening to somebody talk about their dreams. Uh, Yeah. He doesn't talk to the bird. No. He sees the bird and thinks, hey, I want to talk to it, but then he doesn't. But I mean, a big black condor is kind of evocative, you know, like that image and it's in the distance, you see this kind of... But it, nothing really happens with <laughs> it's it. Just, it I, there's this, if there's a, this woman I have to talk, talk to a couple of times a week who always says, oh, my God, you got to hear this story. It's so hilarious. Yeah. But she doesn't know how to censor herself. Right. So whatever context in which the story happened, I got to hear all of that. You know, like right. she'll start, she'll go, all right, me and the kids are at breakfast. And I go, God, I hope breakfast is part of the story. Otherwise, I'm really in for the whole day. Because <laughs> she will tell you every detail. Whether <laughs> Yeah, my kids, my kids got pancakes. Yeah. I got, uh, I got uh, an omelet. Uh, but so my kid's in there, he's drinking his drink, he spills it on my, oh, you gotta clean it up. It's like, is this I the go, story? Is this the story yet? Does oh, no, 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 no. To do? Will that the story's about bear? my Uncle Fred. <laughs> exactly. My Uncle Fred, which, you know, when the kid spilled a thing on his shirt, uh, which made me think he was drinking orange juice, which is really hard to get out. Those are the <laughs> mundane horrors that I think Lovecraft is rebelling against. <laughs> But no, you're right. It's an evocative image. Yeah. I just thought I thought something was going to go down with the bird. Yeah, I know. It's I a re- little it's a little bit uh, exciting and then disappointing. I think in all fiction, all fiction, you shouldn't mention a bird unless it's going to talk to you. <laughs> Otherwise, don't mention the bird. Don't mention the bird. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> luckily, in the next paragraph, he redeems himself. So I watched the tide go out under that sinking moon and saw gleaming the spires, the towers, and the roofs of the dead, dripping city. And as I watched, my nostrils tried to close against the perfume-conquering stench of that world's dead. For truly, in this unplaced and forgotten spot, had all the flesh of the churchyards gathered for puffy sea worms to gnaw and glut upon. Yeah. Oh, my. Wow. That's some, that's some intense stuff right yeah. there. 
that's some putrescent nasty well it gets even better in, in the next paragraph he says over those horrors the evil moon now hung very low but the puffy worms of the sea need no moon to feed by and as i watched the ripples that told of the writhing of worms beneath i felt a new chill from afar out whither the condor had flown as if my flesh had caught a horror before my eyes had seen it Woo, it's a cool image. Yeah, yeah, there's just something, you know, he knows. I mean, he can see enough of it, but then even deeper, there's more going on. There's yeah. just hints of things. And well, I love that, you know, Lovecraft, um, you see a lot of repetitious turns of phrase mm-hmm. at this point in his writing. Yeah. But that's the first, that's a new one. My flesh had caught the horror before my eyes had. Yeah. <laughs> I always got to give him a gold star when he figures out a new way to express horror or revulsion, you know? Right, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's really good. No, it's great, it's great. He reacts to it before he knows exactly what he's reacting yeah. to. And what he's reacting to is pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty intense. Yeah. Nor had my flesh trembled without cause. For when I raised my eyes, I saw that the waters had ebbed very low, showing much of the vast reef whose rim I had seen before. And when I saw that this reef was but the black basalt crown of a shocking icon whose monstrous forehead now shone in the dim moonlight, and whose vile hooves must paw the hellish ooze miles below. I shrieked and shrieked, lest the hidden face rise above the waters, and lest the hidden eyes look at me after the slinking away of that leering and treacherous yellow moon. And to escape this relentless thing, I plunged, gladly and unhesitatingly, into the stinking shallows, where amidst weedy walls and sunken streets, fat sea worms feast upon the world's dead. And that's the end of this. That's piece. the end of the story. Yeah, that's it. He he. The the reader, uh, or the narrator, excuse me, the narrator prefers death as opposed to dealing with this gigantic yeah. thing. Whatever that beast is, he's glimpsed out yeah. there. He'd rather plunge in where the sea worms are gobbling up corpses. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's better. It's a better fate. Uh, uh, it, there's this, he calls it an icon, but it's spelled E I K O N. Right. And I I, I did I had to look that one up because uh, I didn't know what it was. And oh, it's good. Just what a, did you find? It's an antiquated spelling of, of icon. icon. Oh, okay. So it's pronounced the same way, even. It's just spelled funny. Because I was like, right. what the hell's an icon? What? Yeah. You know, I thought it was some crazy monster because it talks about it having hooves, but it just means I icon. Think, yeah. So. A celebrity who's decided to call themselves an icon is usually what an icon is. <laughs> yeah, you know, like Andy Dick. <laughs> right. In fact, I thought I saw an iconoclast where it was Andy Dick talking to the monster from this, uh, <laughs> interviewing each other. But, um, so, I mean, there's not. That's a very short, short story. Uh, it was written in June. Um, June 5th, 1922, and was first published in the National Amateur in 23. And of course, it's based on, you guessed it, uh, a dream. Oh. Yeah. This reminded me a little of, um, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago when we were roommates, mm-hmm. we had a third roommate, and somebody had made some salad, it was in a bowl, oh, yes, in the refrigerator, that. and then nobody would claim who made it or whatever. Yeah. Nobody wanted to clean it up, though. No. It was already decaying in the refrigerator. Yeah. So we put it outside. On the balcony. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where it stayed. For weeks, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Days? It weeks? was horrible. I don't know, a long time. So, But it had a lid on it. It was like a yeah. Tupperware bowl that had a lid on it. So right. it... it uh, so maybe so tell me if I'm remembering this correctly. I'm glad that you remember. Oh, I remember it. So I came out to get it finally, and we opened it up. Yes, and it was it horrible. it liquefied. Yeah. It was a brown liquid. Oh. Like there was no semblance of lettuce or vegetables in there no. at all. It just became one uh, like skin, a brown liquid, and then the best part of it 
was things were moving. Yes, that was the worst. You couldn't see what was moving. You just saw like under, right underneath the skin, stuff was uh-huh. kind of like undulating yeah. or moving uh, underneath. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yeah. So, so I, I had, I remember that moment where I, I looked at it and then something kind of squirmed under yeah. that gelatinous surface. Yeah. Oh, it, we just had to throw it away. We just picked up the whole. I don't even think we. I think we made Christian do it. Who was our, who was our roommate? <laughs> I think Christian had to pick it up and just took it down to the dumpster and, and threw it away. Yeah, the whole mass went... Uh, it was... Yeah, I've never seen... I mean, yeah, this makes me think yeah. of that. I've tried to unremember that I as know. best I could. <laughs> when he talks about jumping in at the end, I imagine having to swim around in that oh. salad. <laughs> that was oh. the, one of the worst oh. things. Well, moving on. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's move say. along to our second story, Asathoth. Yes. When age fell upon the world, and wonder went out of the minds of men... When gray cities reared to smoky skies, tall towers grim and ugly, in whose shadow none might dream of the sun or of spring's flowering meads. When learning stripped earth of her mantle of beauty, and poets sang no more save of twisted phantoms seen with bleared and inward-looking eyes. When these things had come to pass, and childish hopes had gone away forever, there was a man who traveled out of life on a quest into the spaces whither the world's dreams had fled. That's the opening paragraph of Azathoth. That is, yeah. So, so, this this is pretty, uh, uh-huh. you know, like not very. <laughs> I'm trying uh, to figure out what those sound. I don't know mean. what those are, man. But it, this is <laughs> for the what, listener. Chris is also moving his hands <laughs> in some kind of uh, spherical shape while he makes. <laughs> it's uh, it's not very. I had to read it over a few times to figure right. out what the heck was going on. We know that there's a there's a fella and uh, that the world sucks. Yeah, and he lives he in wants this... out, and so he's going to go on some quest and dreams. Right, he lives in a city that. too because yeah. he talks about these giant gray you know towers. Yeah. I think he calls them or something like that. Yeah. And this guy who seems very unhappy with his life, he's a poet, of course, right? Uh, and loves beauty and has childish hopes. Um, yep, yep, yep. Not unlike Lovecraft. That's right. He, he complains basically how the how things in this time in this age don't have beauty and imagination right, right. in that time. Yeah, and it's you know this, the, this fragment. It's it's only three paragraphs long. Yeah, it's very and, short. Um, I think it was a a first stab at a novel. It's just a fragment opening of a novel, right. yeah. which probably is just a first draft of what became the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadam. Exactly. Yeah. We there's actually Lovecraft um, in a letter. Uh, jumping ahead, uh-huh. talks about, uh, you know, when he attempted to write this. And this was, um, and this is a quote from Lovecraft himself. He said, I shall defer to no modern critical canon, but shall frankly slip back through the centuries and become a mythmaker with that childish sincerity which no one but the earlier Dunsany has tried to achieve nowadays. I shall go out of the world when I write, with a mind centered not in literary usage, but in the dreams I dreamed when I was six years old or less, the dreams which followed my first knowledge of Sinbad of Agib, of Baba Abdallah, and of Sidi Nanman. When he was going to write this, he wanted to... Man, I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I would love to have read an entire novel based on the dreams of someone who's under six. <laughs> <laughs> would you? Yeah. Because, man, I don't think It'd that be would... five pages and they would all say candy. <laughs> <laughs> candy! Chapter two, candy! <laughs> Chapter three, I made a poop! Uh yeah so yeah I don't I'm sorry I'm just... I think he I think he should I think getting too dismissive too fast yeah but it's 
It's it's a fragment. It's though. a fragment. I think he had an idea. He gave it a go. You yeah. know, and this is what he wanted to do. I think you're right. Um, and I think Joshi says the same thing that that this probably was the precursor to the uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Canal, right, right. which also features as a thought in there because okay. this story. Azathoth isn't in there. Right. It's called Azathoth and we never get to right. Azathoth. And what is Azathoth anyway? Well, he, well, first, the first mention of Azathoth is um, in a, a note he wrote to himself in 1919. It just mm-hmm. says, Azathoth, hideous name. And then the, oh, second, wow. the second reference to it. I hope that was because he's like, what's a hideous name? Azathoth. That's a hideous name? And not that he was at the bank that day and ran into some guy named Mr. <laughs> Azathoth. <laughs> You know that day you have you, you just introduce yourself to somebody and you're like, yeah, it's Mr. Cockula. And you go, oh, that's an unfortunate name. Wow, what a name. <laughs> what a name. No, I think it's the latter, frankly. I think he might have met somebody or stumbled on that word and he goes, ooh, Azathoth? It sounds like something that happens to a wound that's not treated. <laughs> uh but there's another note that he made um, to himself in 1919, mm-hmm. uh, which says, A terrible pilgrimage to seek the knighted throne of, a, of the far demon sultan Azathoth. Okay. And then we finally get to the good stuff. And I'm going to skip ahead, and I'm breaking rule here. Okay. I'm going to read a quote from a future story. Oh, my. Yes, because... You know, I feel like I'm a little, I was a little ripped off when I read... Because I had never read Azathoth before. Yeah. And I read it, and there's no Azathoth. So... Who is Anzoth? Here you go. Outside the ordered universe is that amorphous blight of nethermost confusion which blasphemes and bubbles at the center of all infinity. The boundless daemon Sultan Azathoth, whose name no lips dare speak aloud, and who gnaws hungrily in inconceivable unlighted chambers beyond time and space amidst the muffled maddening beating of vile drums and the thin monotonous whine of accursed flutes. Wow. So, so Azathoth is sort of this uh, insane intelligence, yeah, floating around in the middle of space, right? Crazy colors, crazy flute playing, yeah. Okay, well, you know, in this story, mm-hmm. uh, it does seem as if we might get there at some point, right. though, right? So, right, right. He, he, we know that um, wonder has fallen out of the world. We know that this guy lives in a city that is uh, disgusting and not, not disgusting, but just dull and gray and, yeah. and boring. And he begins to watch the stars yeah. and sort of know them by name, and that becomes his, his respite and his yeah. escape. And then one night, very typical Lovecraft thing, a mighty gulf is bridged, right? Some uh-huh. kind of bridge, some kind of escalator comes down from the stars. And it says, uh, And the dream-haunted sky swelled down to the lonely watcher's window to merge with the close air of his room and make him a part of their fabulous wonder. And then he tells you all the trippy stuff that is very Azathothian, right. but not quite. Mm-hmm. There came to that room wild streams of violet midnight, glittering with dust of gold. Vortices of dust and fire, swirling out of the ultimate spaces and heavy with perfumes from beyond the worlds. Opiate oceans poured there, litten by suns that the eye may never behold, and having in their whirlpools strange dolphins and sea nymphs of unrememberable deeps. Noiseless infinity eddied around the dreamer and wafted him away without even touching the body that leaned stiffly from the lonely window. And for days, not counted in men's calendars, the tides of far spheres bear him gently to join the dreams for which he longed, the dreams that men have lost. And in the course of many cycles, they tenderly left him sleeping on a green sunrise shore, a green shore fragrant with lotus blossoms and starred by red camelotes. And that's the end of the story. That is the end of the story. So yeah, it's not much of a story. 
It's a fragment, and yeah. um, it just kind of describes a, a transcendent state more than anything, like him going to this this dream world. Right. And that's it. Yeah. So it's kind of eh. It is kind of eh. What you gonna do? I felt a little um, in the beginning of that too. Uh, gold dust, dust of gold, made uh-huh. me think of a uh, white ship. The white ship. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of kind of. Well, this is in that. Yeah. I guess they call it the cycle. We refer to it that all the time as if Lovecraft ever called it that, which I no. don't think he did. No, he never did. He never but did. Uh, this is among his you know, work, dream works. Right. I mean, I hate skipping ahead, but when you read the dream quest, a lot of this is kind of repeated again. In that. Right. So, so, so it this, truly is a fragment. It is a fragment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if I should have uh, skipped that this story for the podcast. Well, it did get published, though. It was published, yeah, that's true. It was published in... After he was dead. After though, he died, though. Yeah. But almost everything he's published has been... His, his, uh, yeah, he's a little like Tupac his... in that respect. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was reading um, an interview on Tor.com with uh-huh. Kenneth Height, actually. Uh-huh. And Ken was talking about how... And I thought this was really interesting, just because we're talking about the publishing. He was talking about how the role-playing game really brought Lovecraft back out into mainstream society. Like oh, no before, doubt. before the role-playing game came out, almost all of these things weren't published. Right. He was talking about how there was not even a legitimate copy of of Charles Dexter Ward that was out there. Somebody had come in and edited and changed things around. Really. And it wasn't until Joshi really jumped on it uh, mm-hmm. and did all the you know all the legwork that Lovecraft's real stuff has you know just been coming out like in the 90s so a lot of these things were hit and remember when Stuart was talking about he right. couldn't find reanimator reanimator these things were really hard to get yeah and now I mean Lovecraft's like all over the place like yeah, it's it like a Lovecraft renaissance in fact even right now to tell you the truth yeah uh, it seems a lot more prevalent it and is maybe um Maybe I'm just thinking of because of the, the announcement of that movie that Ron Howard was going to mm-hmm. do, if that ever happens, or, or Gilmore Del-, Del Toro keeps talking about Mountains of Madness, but right. uh, it just seems to be coming up a lot. There was actually an article in the LA Times mid-last year about H.P. Lovecraft and how there's this whole new group of people who are interested in his work and right. thinking about adapting it. I guess we're part of that I guess we zeitgeist. are, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I, I, I got into it when I was so young. Yeah. I mean, I must have been like 13, right. you know? I'm 13. So for me, it's like I've always had Lovecraft around, so it doesn't seem yeah. new to me. In, in, in any, I mean, I'm 36 now, you know, and it's always been fairly accessible mm-hmm. to me, you know, just because me this too. stuff's yeah. been republi- uh, republished um, more recently. Well, when did the game, when did the Call of Cthulhu, the role playing game, I'm, first come out? Like in the early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm thinking 82. I don't Sandy Peterson was the guy. Sandy Peterson that, yeah. wrote it. Yeah. And that really popularized Lovecraft. And I mean, with a very small culture, but. Well, those people then go on and tell other people. Oh, exactly. You know, we've talked about this a number of times. I'd read it before, but I think that looking at charts of the size of monsters in comparison to man really cemented what was going on in some of that fiction. Oh, right. That Absolutely. That was the role-playing game. And then I went back and read a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I think then what we're actually talking about is we're lucky that so much of the great stuff has been rediscovered. Right. But fragments such as this perhaps are best left in the drawer of the author. Yeah, I really, I really think. I mean, I think that it's okay that we're doing a very thorough investigation of his works. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think a lot of this stuff doesn't ever need to be, you know, read. I think you know, just kind of unless st- you're a completist, or you know, you, exactly, you, you have to get, you know, if you like those deep cuts and the, exactly. all of the different, or or for example, how every year they resell you the entire Beatles catalog. Not every year, but it seems sure. that way. I heard Henry Rollins last night on the radio talking about 
the merits of the mono version of the Beatles catalog versus the stereo version. And he's listened to both, and he's saying, well, this was originally mixed in mono, so it's better, and you got to do, you know. Yeah. I just want to, whatever I have on CD is fine with me. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So well, for uh, some folks, it's very important. Yeah, I put a note in the that interview with with Kenneth uh, on the show notes. Oh, great! So you, everybody can read. It's really good, and, and he's such a clever guy. I yeah, mean, I just and, and we're gonna have him on the show again soon. So uh, I'm excited about that. That's I mean that's all I really have for this week. That's all I have as well. I will say that we do have a few CDs left. We do have a We've few CDs like, left, but not many. Yeah. So if you're like fifteen or twenty, if you're thinking about you want them, you better get yeah. them because so, we're not we're not printing any more of these things. So if you donate twenty dollars or more, um, there's no longer before the end of the year because we're in two thousand ten yeah. now. But it'll probably be in the next couple of weeks. Uh, those will go away. Um, we're gonna have more promotions a little later yes. with some other great giveaways and, and things like that. But uh, if you want to donate, the donate button's right there on the front page of yep. hppodcraft.com. Give us twenty dollars or more, we'll send you a CD. Mm-hmm. Next week we're doing the horror at Martin's Beach. Yes, uh, this is a, was co-written by his future wife, yeah. uh, Sonia uh, Sonia Green. So yeah. this should be interesting. Right, it'll be kind of a different uh, sort of take on on Lovecraft's work because he's doing it by somebody else. Exactly, and it's a beach story, so there should be lots of. Pee Wee Herman shows up probably. Right, uh, Everybody's I, wearing Bermudas, surfboards, sharks. Yes, bikinis. Yeah, it should Lots be pretty hot. Should be yeah. pretty cool. Um, also, um, next besides next week, I want to set everybody up for this so you know nobody freaks out. But <laughs> we're gonna take a small hiatus. That's right. For like probably two weeks, maybe three. Yeah, we haven't figured that out. We haven't yet. figured that out yet uh, because I'm getting married. That's right. So I'm gonna be um, first getting married and then. Going on my honeymoon, which yes. will be, a, we're going to be gone for like 10 days. So mm-hmm. uh, I can't record on my honeymoon. Right. So, sorry, guys. And uh, <laughs> the, I, I've been trying to, I want to do a reality show. Who's going to be the next podcast co host? <laughs> the networks aren't biting yet, so we'll just have to take a oh, Wait a minute. I, oh man. <laughs> so quickly. Sammy what? Hagar wasn't available. So. Oh, that's too bad. That would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I'm I am Chris Lackey, and I'm Chad Pfeiffer, and this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. HP Podcast.